What time is it? Eyes heavy. Belly empty. One, two, three, hit, hit, hit. I wake up in the morning and I'm feeling kind of lazy. My eyes are barely open and my head is pretty hazy. Tummy starts to grumble as the hunger takes its toll. Get out of my way, I need some cereal. I'm so serious. Which friend is gonna join me? I like to make a habit of days with the rabbit. Tricks are for kids and I like them in a bunch. Also like kicking it with Captain Crunch. That's life. What's life? It's a cereal. Life cereal. One, two, three. A is for Apple. J is for Jax. I am the dude with the seal grabs. Don't like it soggy. It's my sweet addiction. Some ice cold milk is the perfect contradiction. Doesn't really matter if they're flakes or they're squares. Long as they taste good, I don't really care. Every day, find myself in the mood for something kid tested and mother approved. Like rebels running with fruity pebbles. Next thing you know, there's Dino Barney Fred. Yabba dabba do you do you do you know instead? Looking for something that's magically delicious. I don't even mind if there's more dirty dishes. If you're gonna go crazy without nuts and honey, what about raisin bran? That's nice and sunny. Two scoops of raisins, really wanna bite. I could eat those two scoops every day and night. When it comes to cereal, I'm a big talker, especially cooking crisp. Obsessive stalker, bunch of little cookies I can't resist. I always seem to add them to my list. Let's not forget about cinnamon toast, crunch, crunch, cinnamon toast, crunch, crunch berries, Frankenberry, blueberry, berry, me berry, two berries. We are very, very cheery, cheery, cheery. Oh, oh, that's life. What's life? It's a cereal. Life cereal. Hey everyone, my name's Danny. You didn't know I had bars, did you? I spent way too much time on that. Way too much time. Uh, we made that video a while ago uh, for Kairos a couple years ago when we started. We used to have cereal every week, and now, now we can't do that because of this COVID world that we're living in. But man, it's good to live in the memories. And I'm going to get to that in just a second. But before we do, uh, I just want to thank all of you for wearing your masks tonight. That is so appreciated. Um, and uh, for those of you who are in Iowa City, uh, where's the iPad? I can't even see. But those of you who are in Iowa City, it's somewhere over here. On the count of three, let's say, what's up, Iowa City? One, two, three. They are tuning in through our extremely high-tech iPad uh, tonight, so we're so grateful for them and for those of you who are wearing your masks in Iowa City, as I've seen through pictures and videos, so we really appreciate that. Like I said, my name's Danny. I'm the campus pastor at Hope Ames. I also get to be a part of Kairos. I'm so Darn glad that you are here tonight. Um, I want to give a special shout out to the people who make this place look so cool. Can we give God praise for those people? I love this space. And wherever you are in Iowa City, I love your space too. Um, I forgot to say this. Last week it was Holden Kramer's birthday. Holden's our production guy. He's right there in the middle of the, of the yard, I guess. Everybody say, happy birthday, Holden. A week late. Last week, he was working so hard in that heat uh, to make sure that this was a good space for us to worship in. And 
And uh, this week it's a little nicer, so I'm, I'm grateful for that. But anyway, let's get to this. We're in the second week of our series called Faith Actually. We're asking, what difference does faith actually make? And what does faith actually look like? So have you ever been overwhelmed with the choices that you have to make? Because there are so many choices. For me, it's when I go in the cereal aisle, which is why I showed you that clip. I think about it so much that I find time to write raps about it, right? Sometimes I'm in the cereal aisle and I just recite this verse from Psalm 32. Lord, you will guide me along the best pathway for my life. I will advise you, or you will advise me and watch over me. Come on, God. The other night I was walking into Target at 9.51. And they close nowadays at 10, I guess. And, And the person who's standing at the front door, who's working there, I walk in and she says to me, she said, hey, can I help you find anything? And I said, I said, oh, I'm just grabbing a box of cereal. Just grabbing a box of cereal. And, and she said to me, she goes, all right, well, we only have nine minutes till we close. And I hear that. I'm kind of like, oh, I only have nine minutes. And I get, it's just a box of cereal, right? But then you get to the cereal aisle. And I think she knew exactly what she was talking about. Because I'm sitting there. And now it's not just like, okay, cornflakes or Wheaties like it was, I don't know, however many years ago. But now you have 50,000 choices. I don't know if I'm exaggerating there. I I am exaggerating. Did you know the average grocery store now has 49,000 products and and, and choices to make when you're in there? Isn't that nuts? We're surrounded by choices, and sometimes it leaves us in a place of pressure, and we don't know what to do. Sometimes it just kind of stops us in our tracks. Did you know that in the the world of university, right, uh, at least um, in this country, you can choose from 1,800 different majors depending on which college you go to? That's like mind-blowing to me. Here at Iowa State, you can choose from over 100. At University of Iowa, so you can choose from like 200. I'm just mind-blown by that. And it can stop us. We're like, I have so many choices to make. The question that I have for you tonight is, what do you do as a person of faith when it comes to questions, when it comes to choices? Maybe you're not a person of faith, but you're wondering, well, what would that actually do? What difference would faith actually make in the choices that I make? How would I approach the choices, especially when I feel like I can't make a decision? What does the Bible tell us? What does God tell us about the choices that we make? Well, God does want us to make good choices. He wants those choices to lead to good things. It says this, you heard this in the reading tonight. It's Ephesians chapter 2. It says, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things, make those good choices that he planned for us long ago. God does want good things for your life. It's not just random. It's not just accident. You are a masterpiece. And God has created you for good things. Now, sometimes that feels like pressure. It feels like pressure because if I'm a masterpiece, I don't want to ruin the masterpiece. And sometimes we kind of medicate that problem that we have in some unhealthy ways. One of the ways that we do it first is We say, well, no, 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 life doesn't actually matter. It is all random. It is all accident. And therefore, the choices I make, they they, they don't really matter. So I'm I'm just not going to care. The choices I make. I was looking at Twitter, and there's a pastor that I follow. um, And he tweeted, he said, your life has significance. Your life has purpose. Somebody responded to that, and most of them were kind of overwhelming, like, oh, that's nice, that's nice, I appreciate that. But somebody responded to that and said, there is no meaning to life. We are born, we die, end of story. 
And my heart just broke for that person. I'm not, I'm not mad at that person. I think I'm kind of frustrated with whoever taught that person that that's the way that life is, that it's all a meaningless accident. But the Bible tells us, you are God's masterpiece. If there's a creator of the universe, and I believe that there is, if there's a God behind all of this, I believe that there is, and God created and you're here, that means you were made on purpose. That means God decided creation wasn't done until you were made. That means you matter. Your life has significance and your life has purpose. But sometimes when we start to think about that purpose, we start to think about the choices we have to make in order to experience and realize that purpose in order to realize what it's like to live as a masterpiece. Okay, God calls me a masterpiece, so what are the choices that I have to make to become a masterpiece? God's an artist. You're a masterpiece. So let me just start right there. The choices that you make don't make you a masterpiece. God makes you a masterpiece. Let that influence the choices that you make. God makes you a masterpiece. We get so scared. We tell ourselves, no, maybe life doesn't matter. And that can actually lead us down to a place of kind of reckless selfishness because it just stops us. Maybe you start to tell yourself, well, it doesn't matter what I do. Things happen. Does it really matter if I wear a mask? Come on. I don't want somebody to take away my liberty. I don't want somebody to take away my freedom. I should be able to make that choice for myself. Well, maybe it's not so much about our individual freedom, but instead it's about the freedom of humanity from this disease that we can work together toward. When we follow the example of Christ who put on a crown of thorns, not a mask, but a crown of thorns, not for his own freedom, but for our freedom. And again, it's why I'm so grateful that you're all wearing masks tonight. And I encourage you to continue to wear masks when you're out and about so, that, so we can get past this, so we can move on. It's not all about choices that we make for us, but it's choices we make for all of us. We make those choices out of a masterpiece. Listen, we, uh, we've got big opportunities in front of us. Huge opportunities. I mean, think about how simple it is with a masterpiece, right? Like, so an artist creates the masterpiece. You've got the Mona Lisa. You ever heard, re remember learning about the Mona Lisa in art class when you're growing up? I remember learning about the Mona Lisa for the first time. I remember when my art teacher, Mr. Whitehead, I'll never forget his name, Mr. Whitehead, my art teacher at Westridge Elementary, I remember he told us, he said, you know, the Mona Lisa is actually this tiny, tiny little thing. She's like, it's like smaller than your torso. And we're like little six-year-olds listening to him this time. He said, and people travel from all over the world to see it. It's a masterpiece. People look at it with joy. People look at it with joy. And so when I see this verse and I say that God sees me as a masterpiece, I'm like, God looks at me with joy. God looks at me with joy. But sometimes we hear, oh, a masterpiece, and we think pressure. Anybody here ever thought masterpiece and we start to think pressure? I don't want to break it. I don't want to ruin it. So I was in Mr. Whitehead's class. I think it was in first grade. Mr. Whitehead uh, was a really good artist, not just an art teacher, but a really good artist who created his own things. And one of the things that he had created was this castle. He was working on this castle that he made from cereal boxes, of all things. And he had been working on it for 13 years. 13 years, he cut up tiny, tiny little pieces of cereal boxes and he just arranged them. And it was this enormous castle. I'm not kidding. I think it was like the size of this stage. And one day, 
He asked me to carry part of his castle, to carry part of his masterpiece. And I'm like, yeah. Mr. Whitehead and I, we're going to create this thing together. This is awesome, so I'm carrying it. And because sometimes six-year-olds stumble, I, I stumbled. And I dropped this kind of significant large chunk of the castle. I just dropped it. And it broke. And in my mind, I broke the masterpiece. I made a choice, and I ruined it. I felt so guilty, I ran out of the classroom. I ran to the principal's office and started confessing my sins. Mr. Whitehead came into the, into the room, uh, I think like 30 seconds later, and he's like, I'm not, I'm not mad at you. I'm not mad at you. I think some of us are so scared of the choices that we make because we're convinced if we make the wrong choice, God's going to be so mad at us. God, what if, I, what if I blew the masterpiece? What if I screwed it up? I don't know, maybe you've left church before and you've left feeling, I just hope I don't screw this up. Don't screw it up this week. Come on, come on. You, you messed up last week, but now you've gone to church and so now you're ready to go and, and that's gonna set you on the straight and narrow and you're never gonna step off again. And Oh, I did it again. All right, I'm back in church and okay, now we're gonna do it this time. Don't screw up. Don't, I screwed up. God's not mad at you. And when you turn yourself into the principal's office, God is running down the hallway behind you saying, hey, hey, you mean more to me. The thing is, sometimes we think that we can screw things up for God. You can't screw things up for God. God's purpose for your life, it's bigger than your mistakes. God's purpose for your life is bigger than your mistakes, the bad choices that we make. God's purpose, God's masterpiece, it doesn't depend on us. It's for us. I think that's awesome. God looks at us, he says, you're a masterpiece. And you're not going to screw it up. This invites us. This welcomes us to go into communion, go into relationship with God, to look at him and to enjoy God in the way that God enjoys us, to not be afraid of God, to not be afraid of screwing up around God, but instead to enjoy God's grace, to have that kind of peace, to not make choices in order to get to a place of peace, but instead to realize that God's given us peace and then make choices out of that. And to look at God and say, that's enough and I need nothing more. I don't need more trophies. I don't need more successes. I have enough. Nelson Mandela, he said this once upon a time uh, on the next slide. He said this. He said, don't judge me by my successes. Judge me by how many times I fell and got up again. Redemption's powerful, isn't it? Redemption's really powerful. Here's good news when we talk about the choices that we make. God is a big fan of redemption. A huge fan of redemption. When I, when I think about this, sometimes I think about maps. Um, you remember opening one of these in elementary school, and then like, then they just became extinct eventually. So here's a map of the state of Iowa. I get frustrated with maps because maps don't talk to me like a GPS, right? And I get lost a lot when I drive. And if I pull out a map, I still have no clue where I'm at. 
I feel like the map has given up on me. As if the map is like, you need to get up to my level. And unless you get up to my level and you just read me like you're supposed to, you're not going to find out where you need to go. Wrong choice, wrong turn, wrong choice again. You'll never experience your peace. You know, that's why I'm so grateful for the invention of GPS. I mean, how in the world would we get anywhere without these things, right? How in the world would we get anywhere? This is my wife's phone, and I'm the background. It makes me feel really good. Um, but so we were, we were in Colorado this summer. I told you that this week, or last week. We were in Colorado, and we spent a lot of time in the car, driving from place to place. So that mean, meant that we had our phones out, not to text, but, but to have directions up, and to have GPS out. You know what I love about GPS? I love that I can make mistake after mistake after mistake. Wrong turn after wrong turn after wrong turn. And it just says, hey, as soon as possible, make a U-turn. Hey, when you get the chance, take a left up there. We'll get you right back. You're fine. You know what's interesting to me? The GPS doesn't run out of patience with me. It's not like I make a wrong turn and then the GPS is like, oh, that's it. Or maybe you have the Australian GPS. Oh, quite off like this time. I can't do it. Abby, she has her series, An Australian Man. I don't know why. And so when it talks to me, I feel insecure. But it doesn't lose patience on me. It's like GPS is infinite in patience. And I could take wrong turn after wrong turn after wrong turn. It's like, hey. I can get you back. The purpose is bigger than your mistake. And maybe, maybe we hear that and we think, oh, sweet. So purpose is bigger than the mistakes. Well, my, my purpose, I've, I've got it figured out. So I'll, I'll get that job that I want no matter what. I can just keep on, you know, doing anything, right? Well, no. I think your purpose is bigger than a job. Oh, okay, well, perfect. I mean, like my romantic relationship, it's going to work out perfectly. It's going to be fine. Maybe. It might. God's purpose is for your life. It's bigger than a job, and it's even bigger than romance. God's purpose for your life is to recognize that you are truly a masterpiece. It says this in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. If we go back a slide, it says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, um, if we, well, you don't have to. We can go there if you want. It's all good. Anyway, but in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, it says, remember that you are God's masterpiece. And when we think about our purpose and the purpose of being a masterpiece, I think the most important of the masterpiece purpose that we have is that it's, it's God's. We're God's. And you get to enjoy that. You can bounce forward a couple of slides again. I'm sorry about that. I shouldn't bounce back, but... I appreciate it. Everybody say, thanks, Kyle. He's a great guy. We really appreciate him. I would go so far as to say that God doesn't just redirect you, reroute you, bring you back on. He, he even makes paths where paths don't exist. God's even better than your GPS. God's not just infinitely patient. He's also infinitely loving. He's not a machine. He can actually care for you. Isaiah chapter 43 says this, I will make a pathway through the wilderness. I will create rivers in the dry wasteland. It's kind of like when you're with that friend and you've always known that way to their house. But now that that friend is in your car with, is in the car with you, they say, hey, let's, let's take a shortcut. Let's just get home. God makes ways when, when ways don't even exist. It's so amazing. So the pressure's off. 
It's not about you. It's not about the decisions that you make in order to receive your purpose. It's about understanding your purpose of being a masterpiece and then making decisions out of that. I think it's great. Let's go back to Ephesians chapter two. It says, God saved you by his grace when you believed. You can't take credit for it. Turn to the person next to you and say, you're not all that. It kind of feels good, doesn't it? Like, don't get carried away with it. And then turn to the person next to you again and say, but neither am I. Now, one last thing to say is, and that's okay. It's okay that you're not all that. See, sometimes when we buy into the pressure that my choices are going to help me realize my purpose and my choices are going to help me realize relationship with God, my, my choices are going to help me finally experience that peace that I want so badly, believing in that pressure is actually kind of dangerous. It makes us completely unaware of who we actually are. It gives us completely false impressions about us and about the people around us. The verse continues, it says, salvation is not a reward for the good things that we've done, so none of us can boast about it. Are we hearing this? God's gift to us is grace. And if it's not grace, then it's not a gift. And if it's not gift, it's not, if it's not a free gift, then it's not grace. By definition, grace is something that you cannot earn. Instead, it's something that's given to you. And because it's given to you, you have a response to it. I was walking through one of the local, one of the neighborhoods around here, um, and I saw something that I really thought was a bad choice, but I also thought it was really entertaining. There was somebody driving a pickup truck, and on the back of the pickup truck was a rope, and holding onto the rope was a person on a longboard. And they're just going through the neighborhoods right over here. I'm like, oh, that's a terrible choice. But wouldn't it be amazing? If that person thought who was riding the longboard, okay, I'm going to push the truck with my longboard. No. The truck is the motor. The rope is the connection. And the longboard is the experience and the results. So now let me apply it here. The motor is God's grace. Salvation is given to you through grace. Purpose and peace in God himself are given to you through grace. The rope is faith. It's that connection. In riding the longboard, that's the results. That's the experience. That's the good things that God wants you to exist. But it's never the other way around. But I know that the temptation is, but I have to prove myself. I have to push the truck. I have to be able to be strong enough. I mean, come on, everywhere else in life I have to do this. Sometimes we talk about how we want to be humble, how oh, I don't really want to take credit for this, but let me just mention it. I'm so humbled to say that I filled in the accomplishment, fill in the blank type of accomplishment. Uh, I was in eighth grade and there was a speaker at our school. He played on the Chicago Bulls with Michael Jordan, but he rode the bench. And he told us one time that in an interview after a game when they had won and they'd kind of blown out the other teams, so they didn't have anybody to interview except for him. And he said, yeah, it was a great game. You know, Michael and I, Michael Jordan, mind you, Michael Jordan and I, we, we, just, we just really had a great combined effort tonight. Combined, we actually scored 60 points. And then he told us yeah, Michael Jordan had 56 of those. I mean, you know, together, though, we did it, right? No. They didn't win the game because of this guy who rode the bench. They, they won the game because of Michael Jordan. God's grace is given to you. 
You don't do good things to get God's grace. God gives you grace for the good things in life. To do the good things. Let me put this so simply because I don't want any of us to miss this tonight. You are not saved by doing good things. You are saved for good things. To experience good things. To do good things. To share good things. It's exhausting to keep on pumping ourselves up like I have to, I have to live up to this reputation. And then someday you crash and then you feel really bad about yourself and you don't really feel like you can recover. But at the same time, it also, it doesn't just give you a wrong impression about yourself. It also gives you the wrong impression about people around you. And so if you start to think, well, the peace that I have in my life is a result of my choices, then if you look at somebody who's struggling, you have to say the struggles in their life are a result of their choices. And I get it. Sometimes there's truth to that. If you don't study for the test, you might fail. But that's like a really surface level thing, isn't it? But then maybe you're in a good season of life. Things are going really well for you. Maybe it's now, maybe it's later on down the road. And then you see people around you who are really suffering, people who are really hurting. And I know that when we see people who are suffering and crying out about it, it's tempting to say, well, if you just did what I did, if you just lived the way that I lived, you you, you probably wouldn't be dealing with these things anymore. It's so easy to say that when we're living in the good. Let me just be really practical about what I'm talking about here. There are people in this world who have been told they are not masterpieces because of the way that they look, maybe because of the way that they talk or where they're from. And that could not be further from the truth. Sometimes the blessings that we have in life are simply because we were born into them and we didn't do anything for them at all. And so when we see somebody else hurting, when we see someone who's suffering because of something like systemic, systemic racism, when we see somebody who's suffering because they've uh, contracted coronavirus, we don't look at those people and say, you got it, deal with it, it must be your fault. No, we, we do our best to love them. So when someone's suffer, suffering from oppression, we, we walk with them, we join with them. We don't look down on them. I didn't do anything to be born into the family that I'm born into to look the way that I look. We join these people. We remind them, you are a masterpiece. It's exhausting the other way around. If if you're somebody who's kind of been dealing with some of these things and you're feeling like, yeah, but I do feel like it's choices that lead to my peace. I do feel like it's choices that lead to other people's struggles. I I do kind of feel like maybe I'm somewhere in between. Let's look back at Ephesians chapter two here and remember what it says. It says, God is so rich in mercy and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. This is almost kind of an extension of John chapter 3.16. John 3.16 is probably the most famous verse in the entire Bible. And it says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. But how many of us are living not as for God so loved the world that he gave his son, but instead we are living and trying to trick ourselves and trick the world around us into thinking, for I so loved God that he sent his son. A lot of us are living like that. We put that pressure on ourselves and it's exhausting to us and it's exhausting to the people around us. We can't just receive this gift. For God so loved me that he sent Christ into this world. 
sometimes I have to remind myself of that on a daily basis. No, for God so loved me. Not that I so loved God. There's nothing that I could have done that would have convinced God to send Jesus into this world other than simply existing. God made me. And that was enough. And he chooses to demonstrate his love on us. He chooses to demonstrate his grace on us. He chooses to give us that kind of peace. He chooses to call us a masterpiece out of his love for us, not the other way around. It's exhausting to try it the other way. It is exhausting. But I think God's really pleased to remind us that his purpose is bigger than our mistakes. I think God's really pleased to remind us that he's not mad at us. Even when we are so convinced that, oh, I, I can't drop it this time. I can't screw it up this time. Oh, I, if I drop your masterpiece, I'm, I, I'm just gonna, you know, just gonna make it ugly. So I don't remember how long it was, but it was, it was a few days before our next art class when I was in first grade and I have to go and I have to go see Mr. Whitehead again after I've ruined his masterpiece and I just feel awful about it. I go into the classroom and Mr. Whitehead comes up to me. He goes, hey, Danny, come here. I want you to see this. And I'm like, oh no, he's going to show me where they heat up the clay and he's going to just be mad at me and fringe my eyebrows off or something. I, I don't know. And he takes me over to the castle. And he points to this spot on the castle and he goes, you recognize that? And I'm like, that's the piece I dropped except it doesn't look like a dropped and broken piece anymore. It was made new. You know, it's funny, like, I, I'm not an artist today. I, I don't really remember much of what he taught me, but I do remember him. And I think that it really stood out to me that he wasn't so upset about this little piece of art that he as an artist could very easily fix. What really mattered to him was to show me, I'm not mad at you. I'm not mad at you. Oh, but I dropped the castle. I ruined it. I broke it. I'm not mad at you. I can repurpose that. I can recreate that. I can make it something new again. God's in the business of making things new. We got to be in on that. If we go back one chapter from John chapter three, Jesus is having a conversation with some religious officials who are getting upset with Jesus. They say, you can't say the things you do. You can't do the things you do because only God can do those kinds of things. You can't rebuild stuff. You can't do, what, who do you think you are? Jesus says back to them, he says, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. Destroy this temple in three days. They were sitting in a temple. And maybe we're thinking, okay, well, they're just sitting in some random church. No, this temple was the center of the religious people's lives. It was the absolute center of their lives. This is a temple that took over 40 years to create. It was a masterpiece in their eyes. And Jesus is threatening to say, go ahead, tear it down, and then watch me make it new. I'm an artist who's in the business of creating masterpieces. On the next verse, it tells us that, but when Jesus said this temple, he meant his own body. It wasn't just talking about some physical castle. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this and they believed. They got it. They finally understood it. 
You know, when Jesus was getting arrested and beaten, as they're flogging him, they're torturing him. And they hang him on a cross and they're making the worst choice, the worst decision in all of history. I mean, they're dropping the castle, right? They are ruining God's body in the flesh. They're breaking the kingdom, it looks like. God's not mad at them. God's mad at evil. God's mad at death. God's mad at the things that try to take us away from them, but God's not mad at people. through with it. If God wasn't mad at the people who killed him because of their choices, if he still died even for them, and the Bible tells us that many of them, after they see Jesus risen from the dead, their lives turned around, they followed him. Jesus doesn't say, I ran out of patience with you. I ran out of love for you. It's too late. He loves them infinitely. God's purpose and God's kingdom, God's castle, if you will, does not depend on your choices. You get to live in that freedom. This week in your small groups, we're gonna provide a guide to you so that you can discuss, okay, now what are the practical ways that I can start to hear God's voice to help me, God, to guide me through kind of the, the, the day in, day out kinds of things. But I wanted to start here tonight. The choices you make do not make you right with God, but since you are made right with God, let that form the choices you make. He loves you. He will be infinitely patient with you. He can rebuild you. He can rebuild your castles. He can rebuild the kingdom that you think you've ruined. Maybe you're a person that somebody's told you're not beautiful. You're not a masterpiece. Well, God begs to differ. He's not mad at you. He loves you. Now let that form your choices. Choices for yourself and the choices that will bring good things for the world around you. Amen.